It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is part two of our PMQ special. In part one, I spoke to Aisha Hazarika and Tom Hamilton about their backroom roles, prepping Ed Miliband and Harriet Harman for PMQs. In this episode, I speak to three people who sat on the other side of the fence, all of them as Times sketch writers. I'm joined in the studio by Patrick Kidd, Matthew Paris, and Anne Cheneman. So let's start then uh, with the three of you. Just explain when you were the Times sketch writer and who it was that you used to see at PMQ. So let's, let's, if we do it in chronological order, so we'll start with you, Matthew. I was the Times sketch writer from 1988 until about 2001, as far as I can remember. And PMQs was always the the centrepiece of, of the week. It didn't actually mean that it always yielded the best sketches. But it was always there and important just because it was PMQs, even if it wasn't particularly interesting. In those days, it was a Margaret Thatcher who wasn't a particularly good performer at PMQs. She had the eloquence of an electric drill, really. <laughs> she would just sort of shout the standard answer to things in a finger-wagging kind of way. But, but she, she was quite impregnable. And, and, and so the, the sheer force of her impregnability did make it something worth watching, though it rarely led to any exciting verbal acrobatics and never to any wit on her part. So you, you had Thatcher, then John Major and Tony Burst. You covered quite a, a gamut of and, and countless opposition leaders in that time. It was hard sketching John Major at PMQs because I always liked him very much and you you just saw a man, everyone used the word hapless and so it keeps coming to mind <laughs> and often he had a really good story to tell but he he didn't prosper in the sort of gallery where everyone is just throwing coconuts at you. He had his, had his moments but on the whole, uh, Tony Blair, when it became Tony Blair, t- Tony Blair would always better him. So, Anne, then you, when did you pick up? I picked up uh, right after the Iraq War, so September 2003. So I had Blair, and there was lots of Tory leaders. The succession wasn't there, it was the IDS. Can never um, remember the order. There was William Hague first. So you, you was, presumably had William Hague. Yes, you had William Hague. But William Hague, he's, he's a perennial on the PMQ circuit. He'll, I mean, now he probably won't appear again because he's no longer even 
in the chamber, but he every once in a while he would come back because someone would go on holiday or... <laughs> yeah, as leader of the to, house, he got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just comes in and, and he's very good at it. She has had a difficult week and she had to explain yesterday that she dresses in accordance with wherever she goes. She wears a helmet to a building site, wears Indian clothes to Indian parts of her constituency. Presumably when she goes to a cabinet meeting, she dresses as a clown. <laughs> He was very good at PMQs, remember? Um, he, he, yeah. re- he, he really ruffled Tony Blair. Yeah, he managed to... Re- he raises the tone. Most people who do PMQs lower the tone. Um, so we had Blair Brown, lots and lots of IDS, Blair Brown, da, 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 Miliband, Clegg, and also Harriet. So you, who, saw quite, you saw quite a lot. And of- I have to say, Harriet, against all expectations, was rather good. But if I'm looking for advice on what to wear or what not to wear. I think the very last person I would look to advice is the man in the baseball cap. So then in this game of tag team, it comes to you, Patrick. So I follow straight on from Anne in 2015. So I have had more Jeremy Corbyn than really is is good for anyone's sanity. I had a little bit of Miliband um, against David Cameron uh, and then Cameron against Corbyn and then... May against Corbyn. <laughs> and it, well, I, I just remember one PMQs getting on for a year ago, actually. Um, they've been bad for quite some time. When I looked down and I noticed that Clive Lewis, the uh, Labour MP, was actually reading a book. Um, a, no- a, a novel. It was a science fiction novel because I, I, I was desperately waiting for him to close it so I could see what it was. I can't remember the title. How did you know it was a science fiction novel? Did it have well, I, pictures? I, saw, I saw the cover oh, and, and then I looked it up cover. and it was about some sort of bleak dystopian vision. Well, it gave me a metaphor. Anyway, <laughs> um, and it's, it's not very good, but it is long these days. Um, Burko time we play, which is a bit like sort of Fergie time in Manchester United, that it always goes on about 45 minutes rather than 30 uh, and yet, you know, these, these are two sagging pugilists punching each other not very hard. And so it is It is must-watch, of course, in, in that you never know when something might, might happen. You have to watch it, but that doesn't mean that you gain much from it. Uh, I don't think you do have to watch it anymore. I just read you. <laughs> I just read you, Patrick. And, it's and the if same anything one. interesting has happened, it'll be in your sketch. I try to. But, I mean, it, what I like most, actually, and I don't know where you want to sort of take the direction, it's a bit like a Jeremy Corbyn PMQ stint. We don't know where we're going there. But um, it, it's, it's the fringe characters. It's looking for the, the bright ones on the way up, trying to make their mark. And also the ones I always refer to as Toady, Lickspittle and Creep, the mm. desperately awful They're sycophantic. They're so good for sketching, though. We had they? one last week from Helen Grant, the MP for Maidstone. This was the one just, oh, be- she is terrible. just before the local elections. <laughs> she is terrible. And she said, you'll remember the, the formula. It's, yes. does the Prime Minister agree with me that? And this was, does the Prime Minister agree with me that only the Conservatives have the vision and direction the country needs? And Theresa May got up and said, well, actually, I do agree with you, yes. <laughs> yeah, Thank you very much for asking. And then the very next question was from a Labour backbencher. Um, about the customs union, which just showed the toys didn't have the vision or direction in the slightest. <laughs> and do you, th- from a sketch artist's point of view, because you elsewhere you go to speeches and that sort of thing, you see the two main players all the time, Prime Minister and Leader of the Opposition. So that's why, from your point of view, presumably it's quite boring having to do the same people at the centre every week, week in, week out, which is why you then look for, for what's happening at the fringes. Well, I think I have a theory that the PMQ brings out the worst, uh, you know, the, the personality flaws in the characters. So someone like Cameron, who actually can be very, very good at PMQs, mm. if he tries, does have an arrogance about him. And so often we just have weeks and weeks and he'd just have a few wing, quick put-downs for everyone. Everyone, no matter what they were asking about. Let me tell you, I think we have an excellent foreign secretary. 
And when, uh, when it comes to it, there's only one person I can remember round here knifing a foreign secretary, and I, I think I'm looking at him. Had some sort of singeing attack. Oh, I forgot your original question now. This is like a Corbyn PMQ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I should have written it down. But you, but you only watch the fringe people because the central contest is, is dull. Well, I think we all yearn for the central contest to become alive. And occasionally it does. And they do raise their game occasionally. And that's those are the best ones. I mean, Blair was very, very good at Prime Minister's questions. Mm. And he did prepare. And he did care. And Blair was, used to talk about how it terrified him as well, didn't he? He was a discombobulating He had true respect for the... Because he always liked to win. And he yes. adored debating, which, you know, Theresa May, I think, would will go to her grave refusing to debate. I mean, she hates debating. Did Tony Blair wore the same shoes for every PMQs that he did, I seem to remember. I don't he think had a lucky the... tie as yeah. well. I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't just Tony Blair who was terrified. I think they're all terrified. Yes. Do you and, remember and Gordon Brown's first one? Absolutely, he yes. He completely yeah. flubbed. And then he said afterwards, well, it's my first one, so I was a little frightened. I'm like, you've been terrifying <laughs> as Chancellor for <laughs> practically a decade. So what, and, what, what is different? Is it because when it, when it was Treasury questions or the budget is on his turf and he knows what's, you know, he's got a certain amount of control, is it just because that midday on a Wednesday or... But it hasn't always been there, but that sort of midday on a Wednesday... There's just a sort of sense there are more people watching. I mean, yes. in reality, there are on TV and that sort of thing. Well, it's, it's, it's because, firstly, uh, lots of people will be watching and even a mediocre performance will, will uh, be reported where any other Treasury questions, for instance, only if something goes seriously wrong or seriously right is it, is it reported. But, but, but I, I, I think, secondly, because prime ministers are now so well prepped for PMQs and leaders of the opposition are so well prepped for PMQs that it becomes a bit like sumo wrestling where everybody knows the the rules and the ring is there and and and, and there are so many rounds until the bell goes and, and it, it's become a kind of ritual dance. You can tell that Matthew doesn't watch every week, Patrick. You just suggested that the leader of the opposition was always well well prepped because what we saw, what we <laughs> what we've seen recently, it, it, one case where Jeremy Corbyn got up. I think it was talking about Windrush. He got up and asked the prime minister who took the decision to dispose of the landing, landing cars. cars. He got up and just read his next question and said, "There's no point blaming officials for <laughs> having completely ignored <laughs> what she just said." And actually, but in a way, maybe they were right, Matthew. It just goes to show, but they've both got their script and they're going to read it out regardless of what yes. what happens. Yeah. Yes, I, I think that that's exactly it. Corbyn is very influential. Flexible. He can't. Um, whereas Miliband could a bit. Cameron certainly could dance on his feet and, and, and oh, p- yeah. pivot around. And, and Corbyn is is quite leaden footed. You almost expect him to say, "It says here that you're going to say this," yeah. or something like that. But PMQs is, is is it has several purposes. One, yes, there is a bigger audience than most parliamentary debates get on television these days. Of course, they clip bits, which is why Corbyn has taken to not answer, not asking questions, but just shouting a bit, and that will be put as a clip on. On social media, but the big thing actually is for morale within the party. Mm, I yeah. mean, perhaps when you were an MP, you must have felt if the prime minister had a good day, you had a bit bit of a, a skip in your step. Yeah. And if the prime minister took a battering, uh, and vice versa, if you're on, on the opposition side, you feel glum. And and what we notice, and I suspect both of you had this a bit more often, is that the prime minister should be getting up and speaking into a wall of noise. There should be barracking coming from the opposition. And actually, the Labour MPs are so disengaged as they watch Corbyn flounder around, taking six swings of his banjo at a cow's backside and missing with each one. 
Um, <laughs> and, and the Tories have no great reason to be enthused by Theresa May, to be honest, either. But um, they just seem to be cheered by, by what's not happening against them. And it's, so it's a very quiet place. And also it's not packed. I suspect both of you, you saw people sitting in the gangways all the time. And mm. I mean, now there's the, you can see green leather all over the place. Just because you, you mentioned Jeremy Corbyn's ability to miss a goal, that's actually something that you've seen time and time again. So I've been watching it in the press guy since 2005. Time and time again, you'd go in thinking, oh, the Prime Minister's in real trouble today over whatever the yeah. mm. scandal of the day was. There's no way that Ed Miliband or Jeremy Corbyn or whoever it was can, can mess this up. And they're almost always, the higher the stakes, the more likely it was that they, they, they mess it up. And it's equally true for sketch writers that um, <laughs> people say, oh, you've got your sketch made for you today. And actually, if there has been some sort of high drama, it's quite hard to make a good sketch out of it. And also because, so, so let's talk about the process of actually doing the sketch writing. Because what you, in a way, what you don't want is for the protagonist to have had a whole load of great jokes. Because that's, mm. then you're just being a Hansard transcriber. Mm. So what are you looking for? What does make a great sketch? Calm down, Stoke, who was the Member of Parliament for Dartford. Yes, he's, he's, no longer, he's no longer an MP because he lost the election, I'm afraid, because of a Conservative candidate. But he's now a GP. He says, calm, calm down, dear. Calm down. Calm down. Listen. Listen to the doctor. Calm down and listen to the doctor. Made a great sketch. Yes. <laughs> you know, those kind of jokes that sort of just happen, that aren't prescripted, because that's like a mini drama. I, I think uh, as a sketch writer myself, I was very often looking for some backbencher to make a complete idiot of, <laughs> of, of themselves, because they, they very, very often do. That the Prime Minister was unlikely to be interesting, but it was the opportunity mm. uh, for some posturing fool to, 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 to get it completely wrong. Yes, we had recently Peter Bone uh, got ah. up, who is a bit of a fool, who had an app uh, on his phone that gives the countdown to Brexit. And you could see from the... So I ought to explain the geography to listeners that the Times seat, or certainly where I sit, and I think where you sat, mm. maybe you was, is immediately above the Speaker's yes. chair. Um, just a few feet Always above him. So you're, you're, and that is top box office, yeah. those, that seat, because you can, mm. unusually, unlike all the other seats, you can see both sides. You can see the back bench, the yeah. very back most bench on both sides. And you can see when Peter Bowen has his phone that he's got this little ticking down clock, and he can say in 321 days, 11 hours, 7 minutes and 24 seconds, we'll be leaving the European Union. And you think, what a chump. But <laughs> it gives a bit of colour. And, and He always used to write, talk about his wife. Mrs Bone became an ongoing joke during the Cameron years. And then she was the source of a rare Theresa May joke. Prime Minister! I say to my honourable friend, I'm very happy to wish him a very happy yeah. birthday today. Many happy returns. I hope that Mrs Bone is going to treat the occasion in an appropriate manner. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the, <laughs> that was a rare Theresa May joke in the sense you got rare Margaret Thatcher jokes. What now? What was she? She, she said she said she'd been at it all night or something. Uh, yes, she never understood the the, 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 the there might be a, a double entendre. To but she got a laugh, and that was yes, that was yes. Uh, that was worth it. But it's the sights off. I was going to say from the perch up there because it's such a good seat. You can see the sort of people come up and have a word with John Burko and say, you know, would you mind awfully if you call me? And he tells mm. them to go away, or you can see the the whips 
trying to pass helpful questions on to backbenchers and things. Most what of what we it. don't have anymore, at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, but in, in, at my time as sketch writer, there were these magnificent institutions of backbenchers. There was Sir Peter Tapsell, who oh, yes. he, he was far more than a backbencher. He was an institution. It was such a joy <laughs> when and, you and saw his name. And there was Dennis Skinner and all these people. We, we had this cast of characters that eventually our readers began to know and, and it made the sketch so much easier to write. Do you still feel you have that? Yes, I probably don't name them. As, as I said, I, I often just refer to Toadie, Lickspittle and Creep because I quite like the Dickensian <laughs> sound of the, the, the firm, but it's people like Simon Hoare and Alex Shelbrook who are good barrackers. Mm. They're members of the Bollocked by Burko Club. On, on the Labour side, Skinner is still there, but not the force he was no. in your, your day, I, I'm, I'm sure. Um, You're very smart, Yes, we don't get enough Mog in PMQs, actually. He'll, he'll often pop up in Treasury questions or something like that. And, and in a way, Rhys Mogg's emergence came, it feels to me like that came through this, the, the Sketch Riders Guild. Yes, the, yes, the, we it, made him. Oh, we yeah. have created him. Yeah. yeah. You also <laughs> Without us, he's nothing. <laughs> nothing and he should remember that. <laughs> we can destroy them, too. We can destroy them. There was one backbencher who threatened to sue the Times because I mistook him for another backbencher and made fun of him when I should have been making fun of the other backbencher. I think the Times, it's the only time I've ever caused the paper any financial loss. I think we had to pay £2,000 to settle the thing out of court. But the sketch writers all had tea afterwards and agreed that none of us would ever mention him again in any sketch that we wrote, and we nor did we. That's the power of the sketch writers. Yes. The power of the sketch writers' <laughs> guild. Now, just because of the problem of um, trying to identify all of these people, I remember when I first started in uh, the press gallery for PA, and I was I was essentially reporting verbatim what they were saying. And, trying to work out who was who totally and fine. also the significance of what they were saying. And sometimes it happens by the time they've got up, asked their toadian question, you've turned to somebody to say, who was that? You've sort of moved on. So how do you, how do you try and remember all 650? I think you know, don't you? Just it, about. It's practice. I, I certainly wouldn't say I could identify 650, maybe not even 450, because you, you've probably got the same 100 always speaking regularly. But I, I, I do exercises. Uh, I, during dull moments, I run up and down the benches. Did mm. you ever do that? And yes. Mm. Go, you know, Nicky yeah. Morgan, Anna Subri, Simon Hall, Alex Shelbert, go down one Tory bench, then try the same for the Labour. Get a bit stuck with the SNP sometimes. Um, there's fewer of them there than there once were. Other sketch writers will usually help you out afterwards. Yes. Yeah. We, we would always compare notes, give each other quotes and things oh, like that. Oh, we never that. did that. Ah. Oh, it was a tougher regime. <laughs> I mean, we would all help each other on that kind of level, but we never compared notes. Hmm. Except very occasionally, at the Gordon Brown budgets used to always just slay me, and <laughs> I would literally would go to Simon and say, "I really, we have to go have lunch because I have no idea what he has just said." And I think that's fair enough. So when when would you set about writing your sketch? Do you go off and cogitate it, or do you just think, "I'm going to do this right now"? Do you go in with a notebook? I've seen some people just take in like a, an order paper and make notes. What's the sort of... I never had a notebook. I can't do shorthand uh, and you couldn't record. And so I would uh, just use my order paper and I would write in the margins of the order paper. And I would usually know whether this was the thing that was going to be uh, my sketch. Um, and, and it would often be Prime Minister's at questions, at least by... But by default, you could then, I don't know if you can now, go into the Hansard room and the Hansard uh, mm. people will, will give you full quotes. But you often haven't, haven't very much time. Well, I have to do the diary column as well as the sketch, so yes. I don't start the sketch till gone six o'clock. 
I'd How like, do you do it? Like, well, I have to. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like you, I use the order paper and I just scribble, not least because you can see, um, again, if listeners don't know, there, there are 15 MPs that are drawn out of a hat for PMQs um, and then the speaker can call on others. Um, so you've at least got the names of 15 that you know mm. are coming up. And I scribble away. Um, I, I can write shorthand. I can't read it back, which is always the difficulty. <laughs> um, but Hansard puts the quotes up online now uh, within three hours. Uh, which is normally around mm. the time I finish the diary and then I can turn my mm. attention to it. But meanwhile, the See, ideas percolate from that. I, I approached it really as a feature writer. So I did record, because they did allow us to use our tape recorders. Um, I recorded them all, and then I always typed it. I always transcribed it. And then after I finished transcribing it, I would then give a, have a little 15-minute break, and then I'd just come back and write. I mean, the best ones are the ones you write with yeah. in an hour. You know, it, to have to spend hours laboring over a joke, you know it's a bad joke. <laughs> yes. You know yeah. it's a bad joke. And sometimes you can't give up on it because you spend so damn you long writing it. But you think it. there's something in this. You, yeah, I know there's something in it's this. It's hilarious. I know it's funny. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, what, in a second, I want to ask you um, what you would advise the participants of PMQs. Uh, we'll just take a short break. I think. So, you know, Aisha, co-author of this new book on PMQs, she was helping her have jokes. And so she came in with some pre-prepared jokes, which were actually funny. But she worked incredibly hard and pre-prepared for that. So you have to be aware of your what you're not very good at. And she also did something that I think really worked, where she had her, what I would call projects, modern slavery, various sort of domestic violence bills, that kind of thing, which she really plugged away at, as in addition to doing the kind of two or three questions that was kind of the brick bat thing. And I think that suited her personality. So I think if you have to do your homework and you have to really realize that it's not good enough just to wing it. And Jeremy Corbyn's case, it's just not good enough to stand and just be so boring. <laughs> so boring that who can get to the end of a sentence? Matthew, well, you, you did well, work in number 10 um, for time. But yes, but only as a clerk. Imagine you're back there advising the Prime Minister again. I, I remember the chap who did advise the Prime Minister on PMQs. He was called Michael Jones, and his hair was black when he started doing the job, and it had gone completely grey by the time <laughs> that, that was Margaret Thatcher. For, for the leader of the opposition, I would take a leaf from William Hague's book. The way William Hague tripped Tony Blair up regularly would be to ask a question and then ask a second half of the question, so the question would be double-barrelled, 
The Prime Minister would then try to answer the first half of the question. Haig would hit back by repeating the second half of the question and then add a third barrel, (laughs) and Tony Blair eventually would just get into a complete muddle. If I were Prime Minister, my advice, well, my instinct would be to close things down. I, I, I think you can lose much more easily than you can win at Prime Minister's questions. And I would recommend that one day a Prime Minister try something no Prime Minister in my time ever has, which is to say, I don't know the answer to that question. Write to me and I'll find the facts out. I, I don't think people would know how to handle uh, <laughs> it. I'd absolutely mission. stumped if a Prime Minister simply said, this is rather complicated, please write to me. I think that's good advice. Yes, you need advice from, from both parts. For the leader of the opposition, Matthew's right, have a, have a building up cumulative strategy of keeping them on the back foot. But also be short. One of Corbyn's problems mm. is that he gets up, says, I've got a letter here from Mavis, from Nuneaton, and, and whatever. And by the time he's got to the end, you've actually mm. forgotten where he was mm. going. The Prime Minister has had plenty of time to delve into her folder and find all sorts of mm. things that she can throw back. And, and actually, uh, six pithy questions. Mm especially if you can quote one of your own side against the one of her side against the prime minister works for the prime minister get your backbenchers on board and often responses work particularly well when you have a series of points that have a call and response so if she says you know who what have the tories done that's successful who brought us rising wages and cheaper bread I, the tory the tories are labor and they that. don't shout. i yeah. hated that but they start that. They, no, no, no. And they the public hate that. That it's just tribal politics at its most. But it isn't really tedious. for the public, is it? It's for, it is, it's for, for the, your own side. I mean, unbelievably, they are elected. Well, yes, that, and well, it that is, is for the public. I suppose that is because what is the point? Because it is the most watched part of the of the political week. At the weekend, I was um, I went to New York for the weekend. And I was speaking to the very chatty, not terribly speedy man at customs who st- started asking me about uh, British politics, and he said he watched PMQs every week. Mm. He also started asking me about if the House of Lords was going to stop Brexit. So I thought he, he really does know his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, it is being watched around the world. It's not really representative of of what goes on in Parliament the rest of the time. Is it a good thing that that's the sort of shop window? Yes, yes, it is. Anything that people watch, it anything that can can bring politics to a, a wider audience than just the nerds uh, is is to be welcomed. And my family live in Spain. I've, I've never heard any Spanish person who's ever noticed anything that has happened in, in their parliament. People just read speeches out for the record. Ah, pantomime, it, we, the more, more of it we have, the better. So every time an incoming leader, either... Punch and Judy. Prime Minister mm. or Leader of the Opposition. They always say they're going to end the Punch and Judy policy. Yes. It lasts yeah. about a week of asking very earnest yeah. questions about foreign aid and then it exactly. all goes out the window. Now, Corbyn suggested, or it was he didn't say it himself, but it was being put around when he became leader that he wanted to do things differently. And it was suggested that he was going to bring in members of his shadow cabinet to ask the questions instead of himself. Yes. Which, um, it, to some extent, takes us back to the way PMQs was before the 1960s when the Prime Minister didn't actually have to answer them. The mm. Prime Minister could say, I'll call upon the Foreign yeah. Secretary to answer this one. That's right. Um, and, and Corbyn, quite, I thought, quite openly was saying that he was new to this and if there were people, if it was a foreign policy question, he'd get the foreign, shadow Foreign Secretary to ask. I think he should have done that because there were people on his team who were much better at this than him. Emily Thornberry is rather good 
And in fact, we talked about waiting for the, the, the substitutes to come in. You've so, got a crush on Emma. I do. <laughs> she's, she's a bit like Miss Piggy. She's, um, but she's got the voice of the Cadbury's Caramel Bunny. Yeah, she's um, got a good voice. But when you've got Thornbury versus David Liddington, who um, Liddington is a pantomime dame, dame in frustration, <laughs> it works really well. Before that, Angela Eagle, I thought, did, did well. Yeah, she did. Uh, Chris Bryant, um, who stood in very briefly at the start of the, the Corbyn era. If people like him and Eagle and Thornbury were doing it regularly... I think they'd be landing more blows and Labour would be a bit more cheered. And they wouldn't blame their leader for not doing it because he can't do everything. People would blame it and they would see it as weakness. And I really noticed when the coalition government started and the Lib Dems lost their two questions they Mm. always used to ask. And they were very good questions because Vince Cable and Clegg both are quite good at that kind of thing, coming up with good, not the the big question of the day, but a really meaty subject. Um, They just... I mean that was really the beginning of the end, frankly. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's, I'm not sure. It's it's enti- I'm not sure their demise is entirely linked to not having two questions at PMQs. I definitely. Oh no! I think <laughs> definitely the fact that they had no exposure at all yeah. in the one thing that people watch, and every mm. time people looked at PMQs, they just saw Clegg sitting there. It was and nodding. It was to definitely everything. one of the things mm. which agonised Team Clegg more than anything was yeah. was him having to sit through PMQs. I can see yes. that. And but then at one point he had a, he had a separate budget response, but that was towards the end of it. And that it was, was by that point it was too slightly late. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But that's different from sitting there in government when you can't take part. Now they're in opposition, but they no longer get the questions of right because they're not the third biggest party. Mm. So Ian Blackford, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, who's rather good, uh, looks a bit like a sort of fat He's butcher. not rather good, he's terrible. Oh, he comes after Corbyn, he looks better by response. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he gets two questions because the SNP are the third party and the Libs get one every month, roughly, and we used to have this poor, tragic sight of the Tim Farron Bob. Um, because he wasn't entitled to question, he had to get up and, uh, you know, again, I'm sure people know listening this, that if you want to catch the speaker's eye, you stand up and you sit down, mm. and you stand up and sit down. And, fa- and, and his eyes would occasionally, knowing that Burko was playing stoppage time and so that 12.40 wasn't terminal, his eyes would go up to the clock, then it would go back to Burko, then to the clock again. <laughs> 12.43, there's probably only three more questions to come. Please, sir, do, please, sir. Do, and Burko it, would never call him. I do think it is very, very important to have questions and to be called at PMQs. I think that that is, you know, for back for a backbencher who wants to get wants to become a member of the cabinet, they've they've really got to get with that. Program. Well, certainly as a former MP, if you ever did get a question in at PMQs, your your constituents definitely noticed it. You'd go back to the constituents and say, "Oh, we saw you on question time." It's it's yeah. the best way sometimes of reaching your own constituents. So just finally, if you ever had to do it yourselves, would you rather do it from the Prime Minister's side or the Leader of the Opposition? Um, Prime Minister, much easier. Oh, I would much rather do Leader of the Opposition. Leader of the Opposition. Much more fun. No. Much more fun. I'd much rather do it as Speaker. This is a red box live event waiting to happen. <laughs> Times readers shouting from, from all sides. And I bring back the wig as well. Unlike John Burke, I'm not going to let it go on for 48 minutes. Uh, we've run out of time, I'm afraid, but my thanks to Patrick Kidd, Matthew Paris and Anne Chinaman. Uh, as ever, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes on your Android device where you can leave a review as well. Sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But for now, from all my guests and me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Have 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 